Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, I'm really glad that you could join me today because I got the opportunity to speak with Sister Mary Scanlon. Now, Sister Mary was born in 1929, so she has a perspective which none of my other guests have ever had. So she remembers what it was like to grow up as a child in the 1930s. And then we talk a lot about her decision back in 1949 to join the Little Company of Mary. I think you'll really enjoy the perspective that she brought to this conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. Here's an excerpt from our interview. Because I want to turn around the whole sense that what we do is, is, is what makes us tick. It's not. Right. Who we are is what makes us tick. And who we are is women of prayer who then put that prayer into action mm. when we're with others. Mm. And I began to feel myself drawn uh, inexorably towards it. And I used the word deliberately because I did not... I wanted, I wanted to respond, Yes. but the human part of me had no desire to be a religious in any way, shape, or form. Is that right? Interesting. I did not want to be. It, would never, it had never entered my radar at all. Right. And, but no, 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 I know that I didn't want to be a sister at all and saw mum and dad and told them that I'd decided to enter the little company of Mary. Wow. And Dad was delighted, overjoyed for was me. He? Mother oh. was devastated. Really, such different reactions. Yeah, she um, she was angry. Actually, she wasn't. She was angry. We're going to get right into the interview with Sister Mary today. But if you do enjoy this episode, then you might want to check out some of the dozens and dozens of other interviews in this podcast series. Um, Seeds is a podcast which is trying to tell good stories and go a little bit deeper with people and try to get behind the stories of why they do what they do. As of the date of recording this, we're getting close to 70 episodes which have been listened to more than 18,000 times. So if you enjoy this, you might want to check out some of those earlier stories as well. Now let's get into the interview with Sister Mary Scanlon of The Little Company of Mary. So it's a pleasure to welcome Sister Mary Scanlon to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Stephen. Um, on this podcast, what we do is we talk about purpose and people's lives and sort of the journey that they've been on. Um, and I'd love to find out about your own journey um, because I think uh, you've led a really interesting life. So if we could just start with a little bit of background about where you're from. Surely. I was born in Wellington in 1929, the daughter of a... An, of a um, third generation Irish father and my mother was from Scotland direct so first generation generation Scottish mother mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of four children I have two younger brothers and and a very much younger sister okay. because I was born in 1929 1920, it was the, um, the the time between the wars the cusp of um, the Depression was about to hit. Uh, there was a great deal of uh, uncertainty around, a lot of poverty, mm-hmm. a lot of joblessness. But my dad was lucky in a way. He was able to get a, a position as what we would call today a pupil teacher at St. Patrick's Private College in Wellington City. 
St. Patrick's College is a Marist college run for Catholic boys, and um, Dad, was, Dad got a position there as a student teacher in 1925 and finished up um, teaching there for 10 years. And I was born, uh, he, sorry, he, start, he married my mother, who'd come from Scotland in 1921. He, um, he married, met and married her in 1927, and I was born in 1929. My mother, in the meantime, had come as a 21-year-old from a textile town, Kirkcaldy, in the east coast of Scotland. Uh, and uh, she was a Scottish Catholic, so the fact that they were both very strong Catholics con con completely dominated my life, really. I was mm. born into a very, very a deeply religious environment. Mm. So what are some of your first memories then? Going to church very regularly, not only on Sunday, but my dad would go, even as a young man, every day if he could, right. to the daily mass. We prayed the rosary every night, and um, so it was, you know, a deeply religious environment. I was named Mary after Christ's mother, mm -hmm. and given one name only because my my parents said that our, la our lady's name was good enough for me. I didn't need a second name. Right. So, <laughs> so, yeah. My childhood was was happy enough. It, um, it, uh, my dad was a very was a, a highly intelligent man, but but suffered a little bit from the, what I would call the demands of his faith, which in those days before the Great Vatican II Council was a very traditional and devotional sort of faith. So I grew up with that too. Mm -hmm. My faith, is, which I'll talk about later, has changed over the years, but he remained very committed to the traditional ways of worshiping. He was a loving man, but he was also, uh, he also had the, the old Catholic, Irish Catholic tradition that we had to earn our place in heaven, which does not sit at all with me these days. Mm. I, today I believe the exact opposite. I believe that God's love continually hits the cosmic fan. <laughs> it's there for the whole world, free, gratis and for nothing. Mm. But... So anyway, that, so that means that Dad was very much a disciplinarian, but he was a very loving man too, and I, mm. I loved him dearly. Mm. My mother was the product of her, of her own life, so she was a stern, strict mother. I know she loved me, but I didn't actually sense that. But we had a, a reasonable sort of relationship, I, I guess you could say. I certainly wasn't, I certainly was not abused, far from it. I was loved and... Mm. Um, and well, well brought up. Mm. I was able to inherit a lot of my father's love for 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 words, for literature, for good, um, for the arts. I suppose you'd say. Mm -hmm. um, he was a very self-effacing man. He never he looked only to love and serve God. He never lived, looked for advancement. He never looked for for glory. Was, uh, he, was, um, he was quite a role model, I suppose you could say. Mm. It sounds <coughs> um, like he had quite a big influence on your life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He read to me from my very early days, and for that I thank him still every morning I wake up, mm. because I developed a, a wonderful love 
of the English language, of all language really, but particularly the English language. I don't speak another language mm -hmm. only because I've lived always in New Zealand, so mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance. But, um, mm -hmm. but I did French at school and was very good at it sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. But Dad would read to me every night and a variety of things, both um, not, not just stories as in fairy tales and things, which we did, but also Quite early on, um, Catholic literature, apologetics, um, lives, of the, lives of the saints, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember I would have been perhaps about 10, and I remember his reading to me a, a poem in, in Latin, which of course I didn't understand, but just to get me to listen to the rhythm, the rhythm, the, the music in the words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful when you think about yeah. it. So he when really it opened you up to that, the up love that. of the language yeah. and, yes, and words. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Mary, can I ask you, because um, the listeners, um, I'm pretty sure most of us, <laughs> probably none of us, were alive in the early 1930s. So I'm just curious if you could describe, I guess, your childhood in Wellington in the pre-war era and and the depression i guess was around sort of that time you know what was life like for you in the in the early 1930s i'll just say one thing first and that is that i did not grow up in wellington i went to 10 9 or 10 schools up and down the country we traveled a lot um, what i do remember is when i first started school the sisters at the convent school that i went to as I reflect back on it, even though times were hard and money was very tight, they insisted that these little five-year-olds, and I was one of them, wear a uniform. Well, we didn't have money to buy a uniform. My mother took, my mother who was a seamstress because the, the town of Kirkcaldy where she grew up was a textile town. Right. So she was very good with her hands, very good seamstress. She took the curtains off the windows and made me a little... Um, Frock because she was too proud to let me go to school without a uniform. Mm. So that 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 event made a big impression on me. You right. Know, you, um, uh, that that we. Um, so I, there I, wasn't the money to buy the the new uniform, but no, she could take the she, curtains she and make something for you. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Really. Yeah. Um, and just um, just taking back, you know, childhood in the nineteen thirties, <laughs> like. You know, we're pre-television. There's, it's pre many, many things. Um, just reflecting, what sort of things did you enjoy as children? You know, we, doing we, and playing. I spent as a girl. I spent a lot of time uh, knitting. Mm -hmm. My mother, as I said, was very good with her hands, so mm. she taught me to knit very, very early on. She probably taught me to knit when I was about four, and I knitted beautiful things, including Fair Isle mm -hmm. and and everything. So all through the war years, we did a lot of knitting for the uh, troops. I knitted socks, mittens, balaclavas, and uh, th things like that, you know. Mm. Um, we had a lot of, um, we had a very old piano. And my mother was, was able to play. She wasn't a great pianist, but she was able to play. And she had a lovely contralto voice, so we, we used to sing around the piano on a Sunday night, that, right. that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And a lot of knitting. And we listened. I, I was about five, I think, when we got our first Philco radio. And it stood about, 
I don't know what that is, about a metre or a couple sure. of metres on, on the floor, and it crackled a lot. My younger brother used to call it uh, uh, pooping. <laughs> Dad was, don't talk like that. Right. <laughs> so this would have been, what, 1934 1934, or something? 35, or, something yeah. like that, yeah. Wow. So, so, you would, so is it right that you'd sort of gather around yeah. the radio to listen yes, to the shows and things. this amazing thing. Yeah. And then I can remember my dad bursting into tears when the Second World War was, was um, okay. announced. Yeah. I just, just vaguely remember that. Yeah. 39. And, and do you remember, let's talk about that in a second, but just like the radio, you know, when it came into your house, do you remember being amazed at this yeah. technology Absolutely. and things? Yeah. Because I think for us, it's sort of, you know, we take it for granted. Oh. I mean, Whereas, look, I, I still... <laughs> I say to people here today, yeah. the technology amazes me. Look at what can happen now. I, the other day, Sister Catherine, whom you just met, mm. and I went to the <clears throat> new library. This is this huge wall. You just touch and an ongoing screen. You just touch one of the characters, and they come up, and oh, it's just yeah. mind-blowing. Well, the amazing thing is from your time of birth till now, you know, that's nearly 90 years. That's right. How much has changed in that time, right? Next year. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. What do you think um, your father and your mother would think of some of the technologies that are available today? Both of them would struggle. In fact, my mother did. Hmm. After my father died, he died suddenly, and I spent a couple of uh, days with her, and I said to her on the second day, Mother dear, the... the um, the washings building up, dirty washings building up, and she burst into tears. Right. She had never used the electric washing machine. Hmm. Dad had taught himself how to use it and had done done it for her. Wow. Her as as I found out over those later years of her life, she never ever adapted to the technology. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. Dad was a wee bit better, but he was, he became a bit, a little bit strange, actually. He mm. became too scared that all this stuff was taking us away from God. Right. Which was his focus. So and it sounds like that had been his, his, his focus whole, his, his entire, whole life, right? entire life, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. Bless him. So, um, so that was a bit sad for me because we lost... The ability really to communicate was just, you know, mm. was just a superficial level. Right. Not that I ever um, stopped loving or anything like that, but... Yeah. Mm. So just talk us through then, um, you mentioned the war, you know, and, and remembering yeah. your father hearing the news the, on the radio. Yes. What, I guess, what was the, the feeling at that time? Because again, very few people remain who kind of remember that starting yeah. so what what was it like for you as a the, you would have been what 11 just, years old or something like i was that? i was nine i right. just turned 10 okay just just 10 yeah. yeah yeah um i um i remember his horror uh at 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 what was about to happen right he had a, a pretty much a knowledge you know he'd had lots of insights from the first world war he was too young for that of course but right um he was also um quite quite stressed, quite sort of guilty in a way that he was not medically fit mm. for, for going to the Second World War. He was a bit older anyway. And he was born had, in what? 1902, so what would he be, 40 or something like yeah. that? But he was not medically fit. 
he had a peptic ulcer which he'd had for nearly all his life. Right. He'd fallen out of a tree as a child. He had an arm that didn't work and all sorts of oh, things. Dear. So, yeah. And he, he had young children. And he had young, as well. quite young children. <laughs> yeah. So, but that wouldn't have stopped him from going if he could have gone. I see. So what so he that did. So that sense of duty. That sense of duty, very yeah. strong. Yeah. So from the war on, I remember we listened to a lot of the broadcasts and we used to um, hear uh, the terrible, especially around our own coasts, things that were going on. Right. Of course, in retrospect, we knew nothing about it. We're only hearing stories now, aren't we? Really? Right. You know? Yeah. Sadly, but we heard enough to keep us. So we as a family did a lot of praying. Right. And praying for both sides. I think we prayed for the Germans as well as ourselves. Yeah. Um, so and would you gather around, I guess, to yeah, hear oh, yes, the daily we, news and yeah, you know, prob- keep up Probably. To I don't remember a lot of that, but yeah. probably we did. Mm. Yeah. Earlier part of 1945, just as, as the war was ending, we moved to Greymouth. And it was a big move, really. I mm-hmm. mean, every move was a big one. It's it's awful packing up. I I hated, what I did hate was packing up the house every time we turned (laughs) around, it seemed to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, head down, just got on with it, you know. (laughs) I didn't have much choice, so I took the easy option and just got on with it. So we were somewhere in transit while it was going on, picking up and moving, getting down to Greymouth, and I don't remember when I look back and see all the joys of the VE Day and VJ Day and all of that sort of thing. I kind of missed out on that. Right, really. yeah. Um, the other part to that too was that I would never, in a sense, have been part of it anyway because my parents by that time were becoming more and more conservative mm-hmm. and more and more um, controlling of us as young, becoming young people. Right. And I, that particularly happened for me as the girl. Right, and as the eldest, and I as guess. the eldest, yeah. Well. And um, so uh, I was, oh, I was about seventeen or something like that in Greymouth before I was allowed to take my brothers out um, for an evening. Right. And then the, the older of the two brothers just <laughs> deliberately took off and left me. <laughs> deliberately get you in trouble. Get me in trouble. <laughs> oh dear. Which he did very successfully. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so so they so things were becoming more more conservative, and I, I wasn't encouraged to. Uh, as a sixteen, seventeen year old, I wasn't encouraged to go out with boys or something like yeah, that. So. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So just talk us through. We kind of got up to your sixteen or seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. What happened in terms of um, your, I guess, your life decision, your life course. And how you became a sister. Well, a, a big thing happened for me when I got to Greymouth. I was only there a short time. And Grey Base Hospital, which in those days was a very big uh, rural, hosp- um, yeah, rural hospital, serving Greymouth up to in the top of Buller and right down to the Haast and beyond, mm-hmm. uh, put out a, an invitation to the two colleges St. Mary's, where I was, mm-hmm. and the state school where my father taught, any young women who would like to come and do some nurse aiding in their holidays would be very welcome. Well, I thought that would be absolutely wonderful because mm. what I didn't say to you when I was talking about my childhood, yeah. I had only one doll, two poor for anything else, I had one doll, but she was always a sick doll, and I was always running around with a... With a uh, hanky over my 
over my head and I'd put the chair against the kitchen table and she'd be sick in the chair and looking after this little doll. Yeah. As I grew up, my younger brother was a little bit accident prone. He would have little accidents and my mother couldn't cope with that. She didn't deal with that very well at all. Mm. But I did. I was only... I was only about six or seven years old when he cut himself badly, my brother did, and I um, bandaged him up while mother was fainting on the floor. Right. So, so you had a natural ability I had a natural ability for, for nursing, and without yeah. that coming to my conscious mind, because yes. I was doing the studies at school, when, when the hospital um, put out the memo to... My parents at first wouldn't let me go, for obvious reasons, you know, what would I see? What would I do? Eventually, I th- eventually I, I worked on them, and eventually my mother said, "Go as long as I worked in a women's ward." Right. So off I went, and it was absolutely wonderful. I loved mm-hmm. it. We. Um, so did you know right away that this was your calling? That this was. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Somehow, yeah. I definitely was going to be a nurse. Yeah. The sister in charge, we called them sisters, they were all lay people, it was a big lay hospital, you know. Mm. Sister in charge of the staff was a sister cook. She was fantastic. She was one of these short, dumpy people, and she um, she and I took to each other as if we were made for it. So within a week, I had been moved from the women's ward to a men's ward, which, was, which didn't bother me, but it meant I couldn't talk about it at home. <laughs> What would your parents have said, huh? <laughs> I'd never be allowed back. Yeah. Um, we, um, we, <clears throat> we worked 12 hours a day, hmm. which was awful. I'd just turned 16, so it was huge. Yeah. Uh, huge. Uh, tw- 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. Huh. And what the hospital did was to make two, two young women from the schools, two students from the schools, uh, to the junior nurse role and they gave their junior nurses holidays because all the young men and women were away at the front. Ah, right. Women as well as men, you see, in those days. Um, The end of the war had just come, but nothing had changed. Yeah. Nothing had changed. So all the people were still away. Oh, absolutely. And you're 16, 1945, 46. That's right. Yeah. We made made up the junior nurse. So I had some some wonderful stories of, of those. So every school holidays, I was up there like a shot. Wow. So I loved school, but I equally loved look forward to holidays yeah. as well. So I didn't have holidays. It's amazing you that you knew you knew so quickly that this was what you enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was. Because really. <laughs> <laughs> many of us go through life or, you know, wondering, mm, wondering. what is the calling? Yeah. What is it that I'm good at? What yeah. do I enjoy? But you found it at age 16. Well, I knew it already. It was in my heart already. Yeah. Even back to the little, yeah. the little, um, little, little the doll, right? Little doll. Yeah. Sick, little sick doll. Yeah. yeah. So what, what shape did that take for you then the next couple of years in terms of, you mentioned you went to Sydney, for example. How did you come about that decision to actually join? Yeah. Well, by chance, I found um, that there was a Catholic hospital here. We had what's now um, Southern Cross Hospital in Bailey Avenue. Okay. That was our big hospital. Ah. 100 bed called Calvary. Hmm. What's well, actually called... Uh, Lewisham in those days, and it was owned by and run by the little company of Mary, ah. my forebears. Yeah. And I heard about this hospital, so I presented myself at the door, and I thought, oh, this looks, this feels good. And the mother superior welcomed me. There were they had cottages on site because in those days, 
all private hospitals had to provide accommodation for both their registered nurses and their nurse aides. Mm. So there was so there was accommodation on site, and the mother superior was very obliging. She allowed me to work out my my uh, uh, hours of working to fit in with my hours of lectures. Right. And so the so the nineteen forty eight started with me working in the hospital, living on site in a, in a nurse's home, um, you know, nurse's aid, nurse aid cottage, mm-hmm. and working part-time. And I loved the work more and more. And I saw, I saw the sisters doing things that took nursing to an even higher level. Now, Grey Base Hospital was a very good hospital in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a really good level of care. Um, but here at, at Lewisham and the whole company of Mary Hospital, I saw the sisters sitting with anyone who was dying. If I can digress for a moment, mm-hmm. one of the big moments at Grey Hospital that sent, that's etched into my mind forever, one morning, and I was working in the, in the men's ward, one morning the other girl and myself from the, uh, from the state school we're on duty while sister and staff nurse had gone to breakfast. And we were told to keep an eye on an old man who was very sick in the corner bed. Um, screened off. Right. Curtained off. After we'd given out the patient's breakfast, I went in to look at this old man. And as I stood with him, I could see that something was happening. Mm. I recognised in a kind of a way that he was dying. Right. I took his pulse, because we'd been taught the basic skills. We've been talking a lot of things, actually. So I I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, I'll take his pulse. And as I did so, it it faded away and he died in front Mm. of me. Wow. And I stood there for a long moment. And I remember remember it very clearly. I was overwhelmed with the thought of being uh, so close to someone who'd gone to God as I saw it. Mm. Um, I wasn't at all afraid, not at all afraid. I was just awestruck, really. Mm. And I was thinking, What's it, where is he? Where's his soul gone? What's it all about? And I stopped there for a long time. The other girl who was with me on the ward put her head round the curtain, saw what was happening, took off, and we never saw her again. Wow. So the complete opposite <laughs> the complete, effect. <laughs> literally, she was just gone forever. Right. So the complete opposite. Interesting. Huh. Anyway. But sharing in, I guess, sharing in that moment for this old man yeah, had a profound yeah. effect on you. It, it did. Like. It did. It, it shaped my life. Wow. Really, for, so you can trace it back to that. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I thought, yeah, I want to do this. Not necessarily with the dying, although that's what happened. Right. I joined the little company of Mary, but just just to be there. Yeah. So when sister and staff nurse came back, I was push, pushed out of the way, and I wanted to know what went on next, but I wasn't allowed to see that. Right. So that was all right. But that that's very clearly in my mind that yeah. that scene. So um yeah. So um. And that would have been what sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen years old. Yeah, it might have been it might have been seventeen by then. I can't yeah. remember exactly when it was, yeah. but I was. Uh, no young. more than 17. Yeah. I was pretty young. Yeah. What a, but and a also, profound experience to have at that young age exactly, to, to yeah. shape your course. Yeah. I also had other experiences there like at Grey. Like um, on another occasion, I was a young man had been demobbed back from the front with a leg amputated. Mm. And I was asked, told to give him a, a, an enema. We, uh, the other girl and myself had been taught 
basic skills and we were pretty I was pretty good at them I think really though mm. I think as I think about it so I gave him an enema turned him over onto the bedpan and when I did the dressing fell off fell off mm. and the edge of this femur was sticking out looking at me it was gory and horrible wow but once again I was certainly not afraid right I just thought oh the Oh man, what, yeah. what can I do? Yeah. <laughs> so you saw firsthand the reality <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gosh. So um So yeah. it sounds like it had it, it was it was really um resonating with you, this mm, this yeah. desire to become a yeah, nurse. Yeah. And so you got this job at uh involved with Little Company of Mary and you mentioned that you noticed that the sisters were different, that they went out of their they, way. They Can went you out just of their describe way. that for us? Yes, they went out of their way to sit with somebody who was dying. I see. To organise a roster mm. with people who were dying. So that people wouldn't be left alone. So they wouldn't be left yeah. alone. And that they uh, they would lay them out beautifully mm-hmm. and put a little rose or something at the head of the bed and mm-hmm. it was just a whole different level again mm. the level of care that they were offering yeah. and concern for yes. the individual yes indeed hmm. and i began to feel myself drawn uh inexorably towards it and i used the word deliberately because i did not i wanted i wanted to respond yes but the human part of me had no desire to be a religious in any way, shape, or form. Is that right? Interesting. I did not want to be. It would never. It had never entered my radar at all. Right, and the that's sister, despite your father, who was very religious. Yeah, you'd said, you know, yeah, that that you yes. hadn't. It hadn't been that this would be a course for and you. And he even had a sister who was a sister of mercy, oh. who was very fond of me. I don't particularly remember her because we left Wellington when I was six but I remember right. her, I vaguely remember her coming to visit us in the full habit ah. um, and but no 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 I know that I didn't want to be a sister at all and I think if I'm going to be really honest that was influenced by the sisters who taught me right none of whom only one of whom only one of whom was somebody with to whom I responded naturally yes. yeah the rest yeah. I didn't interesting but of course, the little company of Mary was not that other congregation. Yes, we're different. <laughs> and so, and so the the pressure within me to to respond became absolute eventually, and I right. knew it was something I had to do, or at least, as you might say, give it a go. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a. Um firm give it a go though isn't it it's quite Absolutely. a commitment especially so, for the little company of mary because right. it was not there was no base in new zealand i see so, so you were going to have to I go, had to, go to that, that vast ocean of the of the tasman which right. was three days on the water <laughs> not, not, not three hours on the air right wow so do you remember the moment that you realized that you'd been inexorably sort of drawn to this like was it a moment that you were reading something or you were walking or you thought this is it I'm gonna go uh, you know I'm going to give it a go (laughs) and no I don't remember a moment Mm. what I was doing over as the months were progressing was going in and talking to to mother Cassian the the mother superior she was very encouraging and she saw the potential I suppose yes and um so I, she came, became my confidant, and um, and she just was encouraging and said, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not all beer and skittles. It's not. Mm-hmm. It can be a very hard life, but uh, yeah. I think you've got the wherewithal to deal with it. 
that didn't always happen, but anyway, yeah. that's another story for another time, perhaps. So, so, so eventually, by about October, I can. What I do remember is by October of that year, I decided that I had to do this thing, mm-hmm. whether I wanted to or not. Right. And once this is where my dad's influence, uh, unspoken, came in clearly. I, I, like he was somewhere in my head saying. You've got to, you've got to do what you've got to do, kind of thing. I see. Um, so what I did was I booked a rail car trip. The rail car was great in those days. And if you knew we had rail cars mm-hmm. in New Zealand, no, oh, they were wonderful. Yeah. Tell you about that some other time. The, there were rail cars all over New Zealand. They were really good. They were fast. They were reliable. And the rail car to Christchurch was about, oh, I don't know, six hours or something through the Alps. Right. I booked a rail car trip for, um, I took um, Labour weekend off in October, booked a rail car trip and went home and saw mum and dad and told them that I'd decided to enter the little company of Mary. Wow. And dad was delighted, overjoyed for Was me. he? Mother oh. was devastated. Really? Such different reactions. Yeah, she, um, she was angry, actually, she wasn't, she was angry. Huh. She, I think she'd always thought, she certainly put this onto my sister Nora, that her girls would be there to um, look after her in her old age. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mother was Scottish through and through. Right. A good woman, but very Scottish, very Scottish. She, um, she, was, she adored her sons, didn't have a lot of time for her daughters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my kid sister Nora got away with what I didn't get away with, but that was okay too. Yeah. But anyway... But so I had made so you come home and you give them this news. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you remember? <laughs> no, you, I don't. I've blocked, I've blocked that. I'm sorry. You blocked that. Yeah. But your father was very supportive. Sort he of, he yeah. said, "This is wonderful." And Mother Cassian said, "Well, I, I, we sort of t- talked about when and where." She said, "Well, why wait?" And by the way, I was absolutely hating university. I was okay. good at it, but i I didn't feel I didn't feel right there. Yeah. I felt in the wrong place. Right. I knew I was in the wrong place. Yeah. I knew I would never stand up in front of a class of, of kids in a, in a school. Yeah. I knew that as clearly as I know anything else. Right. I knew that. And, it, and the contrast to the work in the hospital must yeah. have been great because great. you did yeah. feel... So know. it was good, really, because it clarified that yeah. for That's me good. as well as giving me an entrance into the little company of Mary. Yeah. So, um, so I made... The decision to go immediately, and as it turned out, because actually, as it turned out, I did not do that um, three hours on the water, mm. three da- three days on the water in the Monowai or whatever little ship of the time. My father just about mortgaged his life and and property, I think, to get me one of the new aeroplanes, <laughs> which was eight hours and freezing cold. But I flew to Sydney. Wow! There you go. In a uh, so what year would that have been? When did 1949, you go? 1949. Uh, the end of 48. Okay. I left Greymouth on Christmas Day. Yeah. My mother and my sister Nora came. Uh, we went, we came, um, what did we do? We came across to Christchurch in the rail car. Yeah. We got the overnight ferry to Wellington. And we got the overnight train from Wellington up to Auckland. Mm. And we got the, sh- and I got the ship out from Auckland. Wow. Um, to and I landed there in Sydney um, in time to be received formally into the order yeah. on the 1st of January 1949, uh, which will be 70 years 
is coming. Yeah, I was going to say, because you were talking about Labor Day, and we just celebrated Labor Day. Yeah. It's, the, it's the 2nd of November as we're recording this. That's right. So um, it's exactly 70 years ago, it's isn't it, that you were making that decision? 70 years on this coming Year's Day. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's it's incredible, isn't it? It is incredible. That, <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> it's, it's a long time, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, so um, I guess just describe your feelings as you're on your way to Sydney and you know, um, what were you thinking or as you're starting this new life? Mainly sheer terror. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love your honesty. <laughs> well, it was like, you know, Australia was the ends of the earth. We might have been, well have been going to um, yeah. Timbuktu or, you know, pop a caterpillar or some other exotic place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's terrifying, really. Yeah. Um, so how did you find religious life in this new... Because you'd grown up in a very religious home and mm. we've gotten that sense. But how did you find religious life in, in this new way, I guess? It, in those days, I'm afraid to say it was the same as, as my, my own home. It was very, right. very controlling. Mm -hmm. I found it extremely difficult. Right. Uh, in most sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved the nursing, but we did a lot of time in um, uh, uh, spiritual religious studies before we did hospital work. So oh, okay. it was a very good program. It was very well, very well planned in those days. We had um, six months of, of what we called postulacy, yes. just kind of finding our feet. Um, especially, and it was very hard. It was very hard for us New Zealanders. We were we were aliens in a foreign land. Yeah. Very much so in mm. those days. How many of you were there? There were twelve um, who were New Zealanders out of a out of a big group of something like sixty five or seventy okay. novice, novices yep. at, at that time. Mm. It's a long time since we had that number, but anyway, that's mm. how it was then. Mm -hmm. um, the theology of the day, which everyone now acknowledges, was 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 flawed. Once again, with what my dad was saying, kind of earn our place in heaven, right. which, which is flawed, and right. that's common knowledge now. So I'm not saying anything that's shocking. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it is. So it was the, but that's the how works it was. that yeah. people were emphasizing the works rather than the exactly. grace, or exactly. yeah, mm. right. Um, but it was a hard life because we got up really early. Mm -hmm. We worked every hour God gave, and for many many years we never had a day off. And I, for one, did an awful lot of night duty, and um, mm. it was always very hard to um, manage your bio clock when you've got all that going on. Right. So the work, you know, I, I loved being a nurse. I enjoyed learning about nursing, and yes. and 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 I had I was on some really good pioneer things too, which was great. Um, but I found the structures of the convent life uh, very demanding right because they were controlling and we had our times of, of pleasure and joy we had recreations and i enjoyed those etc mm. but the overall i'm just describing the big picture if you like yeah <laughs> to the point where subsequently i broke down okay big time right how how far in was but that that's that's some years ahead so because it's a long story. It's 70 years we're talking about, Stephen, yeah, so it's a long story. it is a long story. Well, why don't I ask you some questions to draw out parts of it? Okay. Would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
Mary, just <coughs> reflecting um, on the little company of Mary, I know Mary Potter was the foundress. What have you taken from her example or her life? In my early days of novitiate, um, the emphasis was on the works we did rather than the mission that inspired those works. Mary Potter founded us to pray and care for the sick and dying of the world. Mm. That's simple. Prayer was her priority. Mm. As the needs of the world became so massive after two world wars, etc., mm -hmm. the needs began to dominate. And I think the training system, the novitiate that goes with that, began to reflect that. Mm. I barely heard Ma Mary Potter's name mentioned during those first few years. Mm -hmm. Most of us now have been able to turn that around, of course, and I per personally have, of course, so mm. I, now, um, I now love thinking about Mary Potter. Where I sit on my chair over there, yes. I face Mary Potter's picture. All right. the time. You can have a look when you go round. Yeah. It's on this wall here. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I speak to her every morning and every night before I go to bed, and and um, and I just ask her to walk with me, and my as my aging is happening big mm -hmm. time. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, so so um, so she called us to prayer, and out of our prayer. The work as we pray, we think about. We pray for, think about, and pray for, especially the needs of today. Yeah. So calling all of that to mind, and then out of that comes our desire to help what we can. Now I can no longer do that physically, mm. but I can by going up to my sisters in the hospital and mm. just doing doing what I can and just right. being. And also, I think too, simply putting a smile on my dial and a song in my heart when I walk out of my door. Is, is actually mm. doing something because it's being there. Yes. No matter how I might feel, whether I've had a bad night or not. Mm. To, so it's that sense of who I am rather who I am rather than what I do. I and see. that's what Mary Potter's life does for me these days. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that was her real inner message. Mm. So it sounds like she's grown in importance for you Absolute. compared to the beginning. Absolutely. That it's totally. Yeah. 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 Um, because I want to turn around the whole sense that what we do is, is, is what makes us tick, it's not. Right. Who we are is what makes us tick, and who we are is women of prayer who then put that prayer into action when we're with others. Hmm. Yeah, whether it's so the source of the action comes from the prayer, from, from the, the prayer. concern for exactly. others, yeah. and then the action comes out of that. And the prayer, the prayer through Mary Potter's life hmm. is that prayer of in, in union with Christ's mother uh, at the foot of the cross, therefore it, for the suffering of the world. Mm -hmm. So although I um, will never meet the people who died on Mount Aspiring or wherever it was the other day, I can empathise with them as being fellow human beings who mm. were just out doing what they loved doing and mm. got caught. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so it's that sense of being in solidarity with them yeah. Um, you mentioned when you were 16 or 17 that you held the hand of the, you know, the old man who passed away. And I think towards the end of your, your working career, 
you were involved in hospice care as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. What, what, I guess, what did you learn from that experience? The hospice care? Yeah, the, the hospice care, you know, being with people at the end of their life. Their bravery, their courage, mm-hmm. their um, the human the human spirit is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are some uh, examples of that, or what do you mean by that? Um, as with any deep question, it's hard to generalise, but mm. um, everyone is scared of death. But when you unpack it, uh, quite a few people are not actually scared of death. What they're frightened of is the dying, how to do it. Will I choke to death? Will I suffocate? Will I bleed to death? Will I be in agonising pain? Will I be, you know, whatever? Mm, Yes. Um, People, both with a faith and without a faith, are still frightened. And I've I've cared for quite a few strong Catholic patients who have surprised me in being absolutely terrified. If I put my interpretation on that, which isn't fair to them, but it's how I see it, Mm. is that the God whom they've believed in is not perhaps the God that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And some people have put on to God things that perhaps don't fit there. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The judgment, the, you know, all that sort of stuff. God... As I understand it, God is, is pure light. I think of God as light. Because um, people who have near-death experiences invariably talk about being caught up in, a, in a, an amazing light mm-hmm. when they come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think of God as, uh, yes, light and, um, and, as I said originally, kind of hitting the cosmic fan with love. Imagine a great fan out there, and God's love, however you just think of it or describe it, it's that sense of deep, deep compassion, for, not just for, the, for, our, for homo sapiens, the human race, mm. but for each individual human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. The good, the bad, and the rugby, each one of us, whether we think we're deserving or not, is irrelevant. Mm. Mm-hmm. And with that... As my driving force, um, what I try and do, what I was tr- used to try and do in my terminal care years was just, just sit with somebody, try and reflect how I see things, and if it was helpful, well and good. If they rejected that, that's fine, that's their choice. Mm. But not never, never ever to impose or to proselytise, but just to let them talk and then reflect back something of how I might see a thing. Mm-hmm. And I found I don't know if this is helpful to your question, yeah, but no, it is. I, that's how I would um, go through my day, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. That that applied to people who were themselves dying or their families before and afterwards, because I did some bereavement work as well. Right. And I also found that um, I had spent um, the previous ten years or so in psychiatry mm-hmm. down here in Christchurch, actually. Okay. And I found there were huge links between the two disciplines people who are profoundly depressed, and I had been through that myself, um, were, uh, were very similar to those who were dying because they were dying f- inside from other things. Mm. And it worries the life out of me today about the depression 
and the suicides that are around. And I've taken on a personal campaign mm. to pray daily for all those who are contemplating suicide, mm. asking that somehow they their their hand gets stopped and that somebody comes to the rescue or something. Mm. So looking back on your life, you know, you were saying it's 70 years, coming up to 70 years and, uh, since you first joined. Um, would, you, would you give yourself 70 years ago the same advice, that this was the right course? Yes. Yep. Yes, I would. Yeah. yeah. So there's no hesitation there. No hesitation there. No. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I look around sometimes and think of other, look at other people who've got lots and lots of friends, look at their lives. Mm-hmm. And no, I have no sense of anything but um, comfortableness is not quite the right word, but mm. I don't know, consoled that I'm where I am and who I am, mm. sort of thing. Yeah, I've had to come a long way, uh, you know, since those years. Mm. Like since then, I've had an awful lot of growing up to do in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. every sense of the word, on every level. Um, but I've had... You know, I've gone about it and I've had help along the way and I've yeah. and um uh <laughs> I'm very different I'm a very different person who left my my parents home all those years ago. Sure. <laughs> they yeah. wouldn't recognise me now. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, seventy years is yeah. uh, there's long, a lot that's a happened, time, isn't, isn't there? It? Yeah. Well I think it's a great example for those of us you know, me listening, but other people listening as well, because one of the things for me is thinking about my life. You know, when I'm your age, what will I look back on and wish that I'd done or done differently? And I think it's a good test to say, hopefully I'll give the same answer as you, that, you know, I look back and I don't have regrets that I've lived, you know, a full life. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes, yes. I I hope so. What you're doing right now is wonderful. Yeah. It's really great. You're You're using today's tools. Yeah, trying to t- record stories. Yeah, exactly, yeah, wonderful. That's right. yeah. My parents would be amazed that I can use the computer and things like that. You know, they would never have been able to arrive at that. Yeah. But, yeah. That, but that was then. Well, they were born they 1902, were born, right? Or, well, 1902 <laughs> so, and 1904. Yeah, yeah, the world has changed. Can I just ask you as well, um, the Queen's Service Medal, um, what was it like to receive that? Well, t- to begin with, I was I was shocked. I thought, um, I, I'm going, well, to be honest, I they offered it to me the previous year, and I said absolutely no way. Mm. Sister Margaret is this, is the one who deserves this medal. Margaret worked her heart and soul and body out for ten years mm. establishing the hospice before I even turned. I came on the scene. Right. There is no way I would accept any medals. Period. So they all went away. So the next year they gave Margaret the medal. I thought, phew, thank goodness for that. <laughs> I'm off the hook totally. Yeah. So she was she received it on um New Year's New Year's Day honours. Right. Twenty sixteen, wasn't it? So they came back to me and said, We still want you to have one and I said, Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not really for you, it's for the hospice. And this went on and on. I thought, oh, here come. I'm never going to get away from this. So eventually I said yes. Right. So having said yes, I thought, well, I'm going to embrace it now. Mm. I, mean, I didn't particularly want it. I still thought it was a bit unfair because other people had done as much as I had done, if not more. Yeah. But anyway, 
I had to accept it, so I did. So then I enjoyed it. Mm. And the day was lovely. It was one of the loveliest days of my life. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I really got in and enjoyed it all. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic, actually. Yeah. had a lovely morning. Um, it was, was so special that you're, you know, whatever your thoughts were, that you could be honored and respected in that way. I think yeah. that's a, a lovely thing. And I wrote a little um, reflection on it afterwards, but you could say, and... And I, in, in that, I, and I've still got that on, on my computer if you want to read it. Mm. And I just wrote that I felt deeply honoured that my country would honour me like that for right. something that was, um, that I enjoyed doing and didn't mm. particularly deserve it, but anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, <laughs> and the Governor General's lovely. She's, she's really nice. Have you seen the medal? No, I haven't. Can I show it no. to you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a look um, yeah. after we finish. Well, Mary, I, I want to finish up, so thank you so much for your time. It's been very generous of you to open your home and have me come in and talk with you. The thing that stuck out for me is just this, you know, we're coming up to 70 years since you um, first joined the little company of Mary, and I think that's a real testament to your, you know, your life. And for for many modern-day listeners, it's... it's uh, yeah, it's a challenge <laughs> to, to think about um, that decision to, to join in, um, the little company of Mary. But also just thinking when you were 16 or 17 and the old man was dying, the impact that that had on you and how that kind of shaped your desire to be a nurse and things. It's It's been really fascinating to hear your story. So thank Thanks, you so Stephen. much for your time. Uh, um, thank you for that. I, um, I look around at my married friends who are married... 50 years, 60 years. I've got friends who are married 62 and 63 years. Mm -hmm. I defer totally to them. They are the true, they're the true heroes of our world and heroines of our world. They're mm. wonderful. Mm. They've had much harder times than I've had. They've been raised families during terrible, terrible you know, social times and mm -hmm. stayed together, mm -hmm. preserved their love. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, we all we all so have we our part our, to play, don't we? We, we all we all shine right. different lights. So And um, I'm just deeply grateful that as I see it, God called me to the little company of Mary because it's a wonderful mm. it's a wonderful life. Mary Potter was uh, uh, just a fantastic human being. Mm. It's deeply honored by That's God. Wonderful. The spirituality that she gave us, really. Mm. Mm. Which well, inspires me out of bed every morning. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, what we'll do is put some links to Little Company of Mary and, and people can click and learn a bit more right. about her life and things. Right. So, right. And, um, and about what, what's still going on today you know, right. in New Zealand and Australia and other yeah. parts of the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Small though we are now, we've still got that, that great spirit of prayer and care for mm. the sick and dying, you know. Mm. And that will always be with me. So, mm. yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I thank really you, appreciate your time. Thank you. Bless you. Well, I don't know about you, but hearing the perspective of someone who was born in the 1920s was a really fun experience for me. I mean, that insight into the time that the radio first came into their house or when she saw her father hear the news about World War II starting. These are the type of stories which I love capturing with this podcast. And then I love the honesty of Sister Mary's story and how it was that she came to join Little Company of Mary back in 1949. And what a legacy, you know, 70 years of service in that way. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. And if you did, you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes because this is getting close to the 70th episode. 
And in all the conversations I have with people, I try to ask them questions about what they're doing, but also going deeper to ask why they're doing it as well. So you might want to look back through the catalog and see who else has been interviewed. Also, if you'd like to know more about the little company of Mary and the work that they're doing, there'll be links in the show notes. Until next time. Mm-hmm.